The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Lines are wide open. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, biblical scholar and cultural commentator, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Call 866-34-TRUTH to get on The Line of Fire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome, friends, to The Line of Fire. Michael Brown, delighted to be with you. It is Friday, which means you've got questions, we've got answers. Phone lines are open for any question on any subject that relates in any way to anything we ever cover on the line of fire, anything ever write about, talk about. In other words, anything where we have something to say as opposed to areas where we have nothing to say. So phone lines are wide open, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. The earlier you call on the show, the better chance we have of getting to you as the show goes on. If I have time, I'm going to revisit a scriptural discussion I was having yesterday on Thoroughly Jewish Thursday, and I'm going to look at the subject of Isaiah 53, atonement, the question of what it means by his stripes we are healed, uh, a dialogue with the, the creator of, of the chosen a series uh, uh, with uh, discussion with Nick Vujicic. Uh, if I have time today, I want to get back to that. And our theme continues in the month of January, let's get healthy. And I've got a personal praise report as well. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's start off with our buddy Eddie in Connecticut. Hey, man, welcome to the line of fire. Dr. Brown, how you doing this day? Doing good, thanks. <laughs> my uh, my question for one, one second, Dr. Brown, one second. Did you hear me? I can hear you. Oh, beautiful. Dr. Brown, the question I had was, again, we're talking about tongues, and that's a good topic on your show. And I said, I brought the uh, subject up. I said, you know, all the people I know in the Pentecostal uh, circle, everyone that speaks in tongues, I would always say, well, what language do you speak? And they would say, oh, I, I have no idea. I don't speak the language. Mine's unknown. I said, I never found a language guy. I always find the unknown tongue. I never find a, a French guy. I never find an Italian guy. And I'm wondering, what's the reason for that? It's always the unknown. Ninety percent of it, Doctor Brown, is always the unknown part. Yeah, because that's that's and the way that's the way it is. In other words, uh, the first time the Spirit was poured out, the disciples spoke different languages. That's spoken of in Acts, the second chapter. It's not mentioned later in Acts when tongues is referenced, like the tenth chapter, the nineteenth chapter that they were speaking foreign languages. But when Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 14, he said it's unknown. The person praying doesn't know what they're saying. Their spirit is getting edified, but their mind doesn't understand. And he said there's no sense delivering messages in tongues publicly because no one understands you unless someone has the gift of interpretation. So the, the tongue that we speak, many think it's a heavenly language, because Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, others think that's just you know, poetic speech, the tongues of men, the tongues of angels. But either way, what he describes in 1 Corinthians 14 is an unknown language. And that's why if we deliver a message publicly in that unknown language, we should only do so if there's the gift of interpretation present. Otherwise, we should reserve that for our private prayer time in God. Now, I, I have run into a good number of people, including colleagues of mine, 
who have either spoken in a foreign language, uh, didn't know that they were until the person in the room said, you're speaking my language, my dialect, or uh, actually witnessed in front of their eyes uh, someone they thought they were just speaking in tongues back and forth to a group of people. A colleague of mine who's not even charismatic, doesn't even speak in tongues, saw it with his own eyes, an extended conversation where he was speaking, a brother was translating for him, others were going back and forth, and when they were done, the fellow said, by the way, I don't speak that language at all. I just spoke as the Lord moved me when you spoke. And then uh, I had supernatural understanding of what they were saying. So it does happen, but it's not the norm. The norm is that it's an unknown language. Right, right. And then I, I, I just had a second part to it, Dr. Brown, if I could ask. Yeah. Was, was the, I guess the way we, we say is that, uh, you know, if someone wants, a bread, you're not going to give your child a stone. How much more will God give to you if you ask for the Holy Spirit? And I said, what I'm finding amazing is, if anyone who asks God for that, the, the gift, boom, it's an instant, oh, I got it. But when your other prayer is, Lord, I need a job, I need healing, I need this, that's like he answers that prayer instantly. Okay, tongues, boom, you got it today. Everyone gets that, no problem. But it seems like it's, that's how I was viewing it. I'm like, Lord, forgive me for saying it like this, but I'm seeing it like, wow. You want tongues, you got it. Here you go, nice tongues. Lord, I also need a job. I'm looking for a job. Well, you got to wait a little bit on that. Yeah, so, so t- two answers. And Eddie, as always, I, I love your candor. And uh, the Bible study you're part of in Connecticut must be a lot of fun. It's amazing you guys are all still together uh, and having these discussions. So number one, ideally, if our hearts are open and we come to God in faith and we're prayed for to receive the Spirit, that it should happen right then and there. And, and one, of, one of the most common signs, not the only, but one of the most common signs is speaking in other tongues. So praise God when that happens then and there. But many would say that, that they waited and sought God for some time before they had the breakthrough. So it, it varies. I don't believe you have to wait for the breakthrough to come. But just like asking God to save you, if you sincerely, genuinely ask him to save you, he, he will do it. The same with giving you his spirit in, in greater measure or specific measure to, to be empowered for his service. But a lot of good things take time. You know, if you say, Lord, let's say you're single, Lord, send me the wife you have for me. Well, God may be working on you for a while and working on her, right? And there may be other things where he's teaching us to, to trust him, to grow in faith more. So the best, most wonderful things that have happened in my life have all taken time. Uh, even God saving me, there was a process of working in my life to get me to a certain point, filling me with the Spirit, the same thing. So good things do take time, uh, but let it be that, that as we have faith, we receive from God instantly as well. Thank you, as always, for the questions. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Alex in Atlanta, Georgia. Welcome to the line of fire. Hey. Um, so my question, I guess, deals more with um, Isaiah 6. I think it's okay. 6, 11 through 12. All right. Um, but it's, it speaks about, um, like, blinding and, like, hearts being rendered dull and all that. And mm-hmm. it's quoted in Matthew 12, I think Matthew 13, and also in John 12. But yep. Matthew seems to quote Septuagint, John seems to quote, I, I don't know, just more of the Hebrew, I guess. So, And they both seem to say a little bit different things. Like, the Septuagint makes it seem like um, 
like the people have made their hearts dull, whereas the way John quotes it, it seems like maybe God has blinded them. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, sure. So, so for, the, the first thing is uh, that you will find these, these variations. Um, you will find these variations between Septuagint quotes and quotes from the Hebrew. Uh, and, and often they're just different sides of the same coin, different ways of looking at things. Uh, you, you may have, for example, healed in Hebrew becomes saved in Greek or in, in an Aramaic form it becomes forgiven or, you know, in other words, you'll have variations of the same theme. Uh, I, I'll just read to you English translation, the uh, old Brenton translation of the Septuagint. When Isaiah says, how long, O Lord, he said, until cities be deserted by reason of their not being inhabited, etc." Actually, yeah, we, we needed to bump it up a couple of verses. Sorry. Uh, so verse nine, you shall hear indeed, but you shall not understand. You shall see indeed, but you shall not perceive. For the heart of this people has become gross and their ears are dull of hearing and their eyes have closed. Let they should see with their ears and hear with their, see with their eyes, hear with their ears and understand with their heart and be converted. I should heal them. So, Yes, the Hebrew is more that Isaiah's mission is to harden them. And the Septuagint is saying that they have hardened their hearts, therefore these things are happening. I would say that although the, the Hebrew is, is the primary text and the Septuagint is an interpretive rendering of that, that there are two sides of the same coin. In, in other words, God is not coming to humble, hungry, holy people and hardening them. God is coming to people who have rejected him. In other words, they've already put up a wall and Isaiah's preaching is going to deepen them in their hardness. In the same way, Jesus teaching in parables is going to further distance those who are on the outside because they don't understand, but those who are humble and hungry, he will reveal his truth to them. So this is a reaping and a sowing and reaping. This is, this is God turning people over to judgment so uh, I, I don't know if you've ever shared the gospel with someone who's, they don't want to hear from you anymore. And when, you, when you, you bring it up to them again, they get even more hostile. It's been pointed out that the same sun that melts the wax bakes the clay. So many times God just bringing his truth to people, those whose hearts are hard, it makes them even harder because God does not push people away that want him. He draws them to himself. So although the Hebrew is the more, is, is the original and the, the fully accurate here, the Septuagint is giving a, a fair interpretation that because of the hardness of the people that God is giving them over to further judgment. And of course, Isaiah has been talking about that very hardness in context. So th does that help sort, sort that out? Yeah, I, I, I kind of have a similar take on it. So then maybe just to follow up on that. Yeah. Um, what, so you're talking about the hardening. I guess, what is like the purpose per se of the hardening? Not just for the person who's being hardened more, but do you think that there's like a benefit for just like, I guess, the people who aren't hardened where they see someone who's hardened and they're like, hey, I don't want to be like that. Like, what do you think, I guess, like, if you could talk broadly about the purpose of hardening, I guess, what would you say? Yeah, uh, it's, it's a great question to ask. Uh, of course, first it is uh, giving people over to their sin, Right. Pharaoh repeatedly says, no, 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 no. And, and then God, in increasing measure, gives him over to his sin, to his hardness. So that's part of it. And there is part of God making an example out of someone like Pharaoh. 
God raises him up for that purpose that his glory would be displayed because God, in contrast to Pharaoh's hardness, is going to manifest his power. So there is God's judgment making someone an example. And yes, there is that wake-up call to others to say, hey, I don't want to go in that direction. I see where sin takes you. And then even for those who are being hardened, there's the possibility of them now seeing the error of their ways, that seeing how far they have, they have fallen, that that can be uh, a, a way to see the error of their ways. Another part is that they now may be vehicles of, of, of doing evil or wrong as part of God's purpose, bringing judgment, etc. So it, it's multifaceted. Ultimately, though, it is to glorify the Lord and to bring people to a point of salvation. Hey, thank you very much for the question. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome back, friends, to the Line of Fire broadcast. Michael Brown, blessed, delighted to be with you. 866-348-7884. Okay, so as we've been talking about, let's get healthy. Uh, next week, we're going to start the week with what's going to be a really eye-opening interview with a doctor. Yeah, we'll let it speak for itself to start the week. I want to keep giving you over this month some some ideas, some things that have helped me to adopt a a healthy lifestyle, especially with eating habits and things like that. I want to talk to you more about that. And and even a show like today, we want to be healthy by understanding the word, having that foundation. But just a quick testimony. So we've been super excited about this new partnership with Trivita. My friend, Dr. Mark Stangler, very excited about us working with Trivita. And, and these great health supplements. So again, I'm, I'm eating healthy. I've been exercising for eight and a half years now, but I've, I've added some Trivita supplements to my, to my diet and using them before workouts and things like that. So I, I had some friends over uh, last night and we went over to the, to the gym and the condo where I'm staying, the building where I'm staying. And when I was heavy, when I weighed 250, 275 pounds, I was much stronger in terms of what I could lift, but I, I could bear, I couldn't do a pull-up. I say barely, I just for some reason couldn't do pull-ups. And then even when I got down to 180, I just, I struggled doing pull-ups. So a few months ago, it's like, wait, why can't I do pull-ups? So I just started to, okay, learn, do, and well, you know, little by little, get a little bit better. Then I started taking these supplements, nitric oxide and another one, Mile Health, which we'll tell you about in a couple of weeks. So my colleague was over, he used to work out with me 10, 12 years ago, regularly. I mean, we'd push it and, have, and he was shocked. He said, Dr. Brown, you need to do a video doing pull-ups and then talk about these supplements because I've been now boosting it since I started taking this and my overall energy is much better. So Trivita is burning with us to get the line of fire out across the nation to help be a voice of moral sanity and spiritual clarity in an urgent time in American history, in a time where it's critical for the church to get healthy. So they want to take the profits that they get and turn them right back into radio not to go into my pocket or their pocket, but to turn it right back into radio. We, we've never had anyone have a heart like we want to see this happen. So we've been, we've been sharing this with you. This is great information. This is, listen carefully, 90 seconds, and we'll be right back and start taking your calls. 
was not widely publicized until about 1998. The doctors, they received the Nobel Prize for the discovery of this molecule. A miracle molecule that helps increase blood flow for energy. When the body is under the need for more energy, it releases nitric oxide, which dilates those arteries to increase blood flow, and it sends messages back to our central nervous system in our brain that says, we need more blood flow to supply this need. A miracle molecule that helps increase blood flow for enhanced performance, vitality, and energy, and even helps lower blood pressure. Try Nitric Oxide Plus with a no-risk, 100% money-back guarantee. The good news is, is that we have a mechanism for increasing nitric oxide production in our bodies. Do something good for your heart and cardiovascular system. Learn how to get a free sample and 25% off Nitric Oxide Plus. Call 800-477-4816 or go to Trivita.com. Use promo code BROWN23 in the shopping cart to receive 25% off your first order and a free sample. You will also receive the 10 Habits of Wellness book absolutely free. And Trivita will give a substantial portion of your order to help support the Line of Fire radio broadcast. Go to Trivita.com or call 800-477-4816. All right, so I, I, I can't wait for you to check this out. And then please let us know if this benefits you, would you do that? There's full money back guarantee. There's no risk and the book is yours to keep. But I am, I am really excited to share this. I'm actually buying it for my colleague and his wife in, in, in town for a little while. They're missionaries overseas. I said, oh, I'm getting you a bunch of these so that you can take them back uh, overseas when you go out. So I, I'm really excited. And the fact that we could work out, like they're like, Dr. Brown, what happened to you? It's like, well, you know, in the healthy eating part, but these supplements, they're really helping, genuinely. So again, number to call 800-477-4816. 800-477-4816. The promo code to use online is BROWN23. says so 25% discount on top of everything. Go to Trivita.com. And if, if you're interested in anything else, they use the code right, for everything, whatever, whatever you're interested in. But check out the nitric oxide. Try it daily for a month. See what happens. All right. With that... We, but I, I'm really excited about this. I, I'm eager to share it with you. All right, let's go to the phones in um, Branson, uh, Branson, Missouri. Joshua, welcome to the line of fire. Hey, Dr. Brown. Thanks for taking my call. You are welcome. Absolutely. So I just had a quick question um, about John MacArthur's study Bible. Um, and so I have been studying it for quite some time. And even though um, I'm a fellow charismatic. I just have great appreciation for his work and just his sure. thoroughness and, and uh, how solid his theology and doctrine is as far as the commentary is concerned. Um, but I, I got to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, um, and, and that's just kind of where my question lies. So um, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, um, John MacArthur seems to make um, a distinguishment whenever Paul uses tongues um, in a plural form, um, opposed to when he says tongues, and so, uh, tongue rather. So he seems to indicate that uh, whenever Paul uses it um, in a plural form, that he's using it in the context that it is the Holy Spirit that has given um, the church member the gift for the edification of the body. But um, the tongue, um, though he recognizes that um, there's a couple instances where it's not the case, when he says tongue, uh, Paul is actually making a distinguishment uh, between the actual spiritual gift and a uh, pagan 
um, babbling that was actually um, demonic and more so for building oneself up um, rather than edifying the church. And so on the outside looking in, it just seemed like he was kind of um, reading his his theology into the text, but I'm not very um, well-versed with the Greek, and so I just wanted to see if you knew if there was any legitimacy uh, to his claim there. Zero. Zero legitimacy, zero support in the Greek. Now let me say this. I, too, have great respect for Pastor MacArthur. I honor him as an elder in the body. I honor him as a man of God. I honor his love for the word. I honor his passion for truth. I honor the fact that he is not compromised with pressure from the world. I honor the fact that he seeks to lift up Jesus and he's produced all of this expository preaching and commentary. Absolutely honor that. I must be candid though and say when I have read his exposition of these verses, I've been shocked. I mean, it is so subpar. It is so contrary to a plain meaning of the text. It is so counterintuitive to what the text is saying. And the fact that you're arguing for a very tenuous point to start and then have to say, well, there are actually some things where it doesn't work out. No, it's, it's as off as you feel. It's, look, I always try to look for a weak point or an Achilles heel in something I believe or hold to. And, and if I feel, okay, that my explanation to that is weak, it doesn't ring true. It's, it, it, then I step back from it and say, okay, what am I missing? Is my position wrong or am I just misunderstanding this verse? Be, you, know, you, you try to be as honest as you can yourself. And other times you have blind spots, so it's for others to tell you, but it is as bad as you think. It is, it is as non-exegetical as you can imagine. There's no support for it in the Greek. There's no nuance of the text that indicates it. There's no context that points to it whatsoever. And you will not find, if you'll go through all the top uh, commentators of 1 Corinthians and read their commentaries, you will not find that, that his is a view that, that, uh, that others have also espoused historically in, in, in any kind of mainstream way. And because, and now here, let, let me end with a positive comment. It is because of his devotion to the word and the excellence of so much of his work that you can see when a theological bias gets in the way because it suddenly degenerates it and really, really drops. So your perceptions are quite accurate, sir. All right. I, I appreciate it, Dr. Michael Brown. Um, thank you so much for answering that question. You, you are very welcome. It, it's funny that was mentioned because at the outset of the show, I said, if I have time, I want to go back to a a discussion that ties in with yesterday's show about Isaiah 53. And I was actually going to reference the MacArthur Study Bible in that context as well. Do I have time for another call? Let's give it a shot. Um, let's go to Jeff in South Car Carolina. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hey, Dr. Brown. I'm really blessed by your ministry. And, uh, and also, I've discussed that um, the, the Vita, um, the Travita tri with my wife, but anyway, um, with so many of the prophecies in the Old Testament mm -hmm. um, that Jesus fulfilled, yeah, um, even down to like where he was born, how he was born, his family line, all these things. And of course, they didn't know back then all that we know now that only he could have been the Messiah. Mm -hmm. What else could he have done, Jewish? from a Jewish standpoint, to make the 
the Jewish, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and and all the doubters believe that he was the Messiah. What else could he have done? Right. So uh, great question. The first thing is uh, there were others born in Bethlehem and others from that line of, of David. So that in itself would make them Messiah, but certainly it was a requirement. And no one was there to verify his birth. Uh, and he certainly worked all the miracles that could have been imagined. But if the Jewish expectation is he will be a king who rules and reigns, who destroys the wicked, who regathers the exiles, who sets up the kingdom of God on the earth, if he doesn't do that, and that's what you're waiting for, then you'll say he can't be the Messiah. Right? So it was because they expected him to do a particular thing, establish peace on earth, free Israel from its enemies, etc. Because he didn't do that, therefore he wasn't the Messiah. And that's why he tried to open their eyes to the reality of what his mission was. Hey, thank you, sir, for the question. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey, hey would you like to know if, if I'm coming to speak in your area, you'll get an email notice about it, or if we've just put out a brand new video resource, or if we have a new book coming out, or get a weekly summary of all the articles I've written. Would you like that? Just sign up for our emails. There you go. Free service. Go to askdrbrown, askdrbrown.org. Sign up there. Just put in your name and email, and you'll hear from us on a regular basis. You'll be the first to know about key resources that we have released and latest of, of things that we put together to serve you, to help you be strong, to infuse you with faith and truth and courage. And we're not here to just get you riled up and mad at this one, mad at this one. We're here to say, hey, there's some real issues. Here's how we can address them in Jesus' name. 866-34-TRUTH. We go back to the phones. Kevin in Wichita, Kansas. Welcome to the line of fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. Um, I had two quick questions. Um, The first is regarding uh, a bit of Hebrew in Genesis uh, 1. Uh, There's a paper by uh, Scott uh, Nagel, out of University of Washington, and he makes the argument that um, in Genesis 1, 1, and 1, 2, that uh, the Hebrew for the earth um, should be better translated as underworld, Um, and he cites uh, just various developments in Mesopotamian uh, language, Ugaritic text, cognate, stuff like that, Um, and I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that. Yeah, I I reject that idea with all respect to Eretz, having underworld connotations in, in some of the Semitic languages. Now, the, the fact is, especially that, that you have Shemayim um, V'ha'aretz, right? The, the heavens and the earth, that's the universe. When you have those two things, it's, 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 not, it's not netherworld. It's not the heavens and the netherworld, but the universe. And then contextually, just a plain meaning, you've got stuff happening on the earth here. You've got the... the the, the waters dividing into seas here on the earth. You've, you've, got, uh, uh, you've got Adam, man, being formed out of the dust of the earth. You've got livestock, you've got fish, you've got birds. That's all stuff here on this earth. So, no, uh, it absolutely means earth there, not netherworld, with all respect okay. to his scholarship. 
Yeah, that's fair. And, and, and second, uh, did you have any recommendations on um, maybe a defense of uh, a book on the defense of like sola scriptura? Um, I, I grew up as a Protestant, so I just kind of accepted it as as a truth. Um, but seeing various discussions, realized that I'm not as read on the debate as I should be. Yeah, let me tell you what. Let me think. Maybe in the next segment, I will. I'll give you a recommendation. Um, you know, I, I read within the debate uh, different viewpoints, and I've interacted here and there with with Catholic friends about this. Not not in extended debates and things like that, but as to the best single book, there there are probably some that you just jump to mind, but they don't. Let me let me give it thought. If I don't mention it in the next segment. Shoot us a note through the website, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll write back with some ideas and recommendations. Um, hopefully in the next segment, a, a few things will jump out that I can, I can recommend to you, Kevin. So keep listening. Thank you for the call. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, we go to Pennsylvania with love. Welcome to the line of fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. Thank you so much for picking up my call. Um, yeah. yeah, I just had a question about women in ministry because I've been seeing a lot of people saying that I saw a poll from um, David Lynn. You probably heard of him. And he was just basically saying that, you know, women should not be pastors nor, pre- nor be preachers, nor be preaching in a church. Um, I know that the Book of Corinthians talk about that. Titus talks about that. But I just don't know if that is if Paul was referring to the women in that um, as you know um, at that time. But I don't know if it still refers now. And also right. about women prophesying with uh, covering their heads. Right. You know, I yeah. There's no question that women can and should be involved in lots of different kinds of ministry. There's no question whatsoever. Just read Paul's list of fellow workers in Romans 16 and look at how many men are there, and how many women are there. And they clearly have an equal standing in terms of these are all solid, respected fellow workers. Psalm 68 speaks of the the Lord's word going forth, and many are the women, it's female, that proclaim it. The fact that in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul talks about women prophesying and praying in public, obviously with a certain right authority setting, means that this was something that was to be done and the, the gifting of God is not dependent on male or female. In other words, God can heal through male. God can heal through female. God can prophesy through any of us. The, the only debatable question to me is not women ministering, preaching, teaching in all different kinds of settings. Uh, the idea that, that, that Paul forbade women from, from teaching in a setting where there would be men, I, I do not believe that was the, the overall point that he was making. It, because if women in themselves were easily deceived and therefore not to be teaching men, well, then why does Paul and Titus say that they, the older women should teach the younger women? No, nobody should teach anybody if they're all so easily deceived. Nor does it explain how, say, in the book of Acts, that Priscilla and Aquila, with her name coming first, uh, that they discipled Apollos and, and took him deeper in the knowledge of God. Nor does it explain what, what Paul's co-workers were, were doing, female co-workers, if they weren't preaching and teaching. The, the debatable question to me is women as, as senior pastors. And I do believe that God raises women up and has used women in senior pastoral roles and in planting apostolic roles. I don't see it as the norm. I see the, the norm being that governmental authority is male. 
and that under that women are released to minister freely. However, let me say this. I see the New Testament norm as believers being full of the spirit and being used to heal the sick and drive out demons and speak in tongues and prophesy. I see that as the New Testament norm. I see that as a norm for those in ministry and leadership. However, there are many that God raises up who do not speak in tongues, who do not believe in the gifts and power of the spirit in that regard for today. And God still works through them. I'm sure there are many things missing in me in terms of making me ideal and full and complete on every level. And yet God works through me. So I do believe that, that God will work through us in different ways in positions that are uh, not uh, the norm. That being said, I, I've, I've preached for, for female pastors that are anointed by God and great leaders, and, and the Lord has used them mightily. I, I, I freely work with churches that, that uh, have female senior pastors. I've done that for, for years. I just don't see it as the norm. Just like in the home, there is a certain headship that, that comes with, with the man, and yet in our home, Nancy looks to me as the head of the home in terms of the, the burden falls on me. But I would say in the vast majority of decision-making, she has the wisdom and I followed her. I'd say in, in, in so many things in life, she's definitely been right and I recognize it. And yet there's a certain headship authority that, that, that comes to the male. So that's the part that's debatable to me. Women preaching, teaching, ministering in all different ways. Let it be for the glory of God. And let me, let me receive everything I can through those women called and anointed by God. 866, thank you for the question. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Paul in L.A. or Louisiana, I guess. Sorry. Welcome to the line of fire. Hello, hey there, we- Paul. Go ahead. Okay, yeah, Louisiana. I'm, I'm actually in California. I don't know why I said that. All right. <laughs> kind of tricked me there. Um, but um, I just want to say thank you so much for your ministry. It's been such a benefit. It continually blesses me, and uh, God bless you. May the Lord bless your ministry. Thank you. Um, so my question is, Dr. Brown, um, basically, I, I've been, uh, this year has been interesting. I've been studying a lot about Israel. Right, and the restoration, the repentance, national repentance of Israel in the mm-hmm. end days when the Lord Jesus returns, right? Um, and as I keep talking with my brother um, in the faith, his objection to me is hard for me to overcome. And his objection is basically that the Jews in Israel today are not true ethnic Jews. And simply because of Ezra and Nehemiah, it says that Right, the bloodline has been tainted. They were mixed Samaritans in Jesus' day. Um, he even saw the Samaritans as not full Jews. These are his objections, and I'm just not quite sure to answer that. And I was wondering what you would have to say about that. So. Yeah, it's it's really easy to answer. It's a question people raise, but the mm-hmm. fact that there were Samaritans who claimed to be the original Israelites, and the rest of the Jewish population rejected them as half breeds. That has nothing to do with the fact that the rest of that Jewish population was Jewish. The, the fact that you had adulterous, you had uh, relationships in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah with women that were pagans, right? Well, they were, they were put away. They, they were divorced and sent away with their children. So the only ones identifying as Jews today, uh, aside from cults and bizarre groups that claim to be Jews and are not, uh, 
they're the ones that, that have continued to have a Jewish identity, meaning they can either trace ethnically through the centuries or at some point they converted into Judaism. Because if you just intermarry, right, and join the nations, you're lost to Israel, right? So, so let's just say that you're, you're a Jewish person living in the first century and you, you, uh, you're in Rome and you meet a Gentile woman and marry the woman and she has no religion, so you have no religion. Within a few generations, your kids have no connection to Jewishness or Israel whatsoever. The only ones who've maintained that concept of Jewishness are the Jews. So around the world, they're the ones either practicing Judaism or, or recognizing their ethnic identity as in the land of Israel. They can be traced by DNA. They can be traced by historical records. They can be traced by language trends and things like that. Uh, it, do you think Hitler had a hard time figuring out who the Jews were when he decided to... to <laughs> Uh, commit genocide on the Jews in Europe? You think that country after country that expelled Jews because they weren't baptized, right? Like Spain in 1492 expelled all non-baptized Jews. Do you think they had a hard time figuring out how the, who the Jews are? You think when, when the, the UN granted a, 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 a state of Israel in 1947, 1948, do you think they had a hard time figuring out who, who the Jews were? So it's it's been right. known. It's again, it's plain as the nose on my face. As a Jew, I can say that, right? So it's been known historically. Uh, in my books, our hands are stained with blood. The 2019 edition, our hands are stained with blood, or Christian anti-Semitism. Our hands are stained with blood. Get the 2019 edition, or Christian anti-Semitism. I deal with some of these misconceptions. It's really, really simple. Hey, thank you very much. We'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome back to the Line of Fire. All right, about two, a little less than a half hour from now, about 28 minutes from now, we will be right back on the same YouTube channel, ASKDR Brown. So everyone listening on radio or maybe watching on Facebook, ASKDR Brown, Ask Dr. Brown YouTube channel, 4.15 Eastern time, all right? So it's a little less than a half hour from now. We'll be doing our weekly, we do them as often as we can, weekly YouTube chat. So all kinds of questions will be taken there and you just have to post, you don't have to call in. All right, regarding Sola Scriptura, Maybe this book is a, is a good, helpful one. Sola Scriptura, The Protestant Position on the Bible, edited by Don Kistler, K-I-S-T-L-E-R. Now, strongly from a Reformed perspective, uh, so John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, my friend James White contributed to it as well. Maybe this is a helpful one. I'm looking to see which might be the most useful, but, but I think this will give a good perspective. Sola Scriptura, The Protestant Position on the Bible, edited by Don Kistler. All right, let us go back to the phones, this time with Caleb in Rochester Hills, Michigan. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hey, Dr. Michael, I appreciate your uh, ministry and all that you do. Thank you. Um, I have a question regarding uh, an individual named uh, Ron Wyatt. Yep. Uh, he had done some archaeological digs in Israel some years ago, and he had some extraordinary claims about having found uh, the Ark of the Covenant and 
even take even taking a sample of the blood that he said was on top of it and speaking to angels. They were real, like extraordinary claims. And uh, I've heard from others that he seemed to be a a genuine believer. But uh, I just kind of wanted your thought or opinion if you've heard these things and what you think about them. Yeah, interestingly, you're the second person to ask me about this in two days. And I don't remember being asked about it in, in some months or years. All right, let me, let me be totally candid. Ron Wyatt has devoted years and years and years and years of his life to the subject. In terms of my study of the Ark of the Covenant, it's more minutes or hours, okay? Uh, I am highly skeptical of the claims especially the more sensationalistic ones, I am highly skeptical. But in fairness to Ron Wyatt, he has devoted years, decades of his life to the study, and I have devoted maybe hours to the study of the location of the Ark of the Covenant. Hours would, would be on the high side. So I am not qualified to give an academic evaluation of his claims. I've only seen the sensationalistic claims. I maybe watched a few minutes of a video so I don't even know everything that he's claiming. But to be fair to him, having devoted all of these years of life to this, all I can say is I'm highly skeptical, but I cannot say in any type of academic or scholarly or comprehensive way that he's wrong in terms of discovering the location of the Ark. I'm highly skeptical, but he's the one who's put in the decades. I haven't. So until I can look into it more, just to be fair, I have to leave it there. Okay, yeah, I guess it's the same place I'm at, you know, but uh, I appreciate it. That yeah, and listen, I, so I, wish I, had, I wish I had more to say, but it, it'd just be somewhat empty words, you know what I'm saying? Because I, I haven't given the adequate time out of respect to the decades he's put in to give a fair response. Now, there are other things people can throw at me, and I don't care if you spend a million years studying it, I know it's false. I, I know it's absolutely, clearly undoubtedly false. But since I don't even know all the claims he's making, I, I can't just dismiss it like that. All right. So I'm highly skeptical of any claims of discovery of the Ark, unless it was this massive archaeological consensus among, among scholars that this has been discovered and, and, and authenticated, etc. So anything less than that, I'm highly skeptical of. But in fairness, I'm not the one to, to rebut the claim because I haven't studied the claims. Thank you again for the call. Uh, we go to uh, Linda in Kernersville, North Carolina. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Um, hi, Dr. Brown. Hi. Um, I was just calling. Um, I'm sorry. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you. Sure thing. Okay. All right. I was just calling because I understand that Jack Hayford had passed away this yes. past Sunday. Mm-hmm. And um, I know he was a, a mighty man of God, and I don't—I hadn't heard your program on Monday, so I don't know if you had had made a note of it. But I just um, wanted to express my gratitude to you. And um, I—we happen to have one of your books. It's called "Go and Sin No More," mm -hmm. and I had noticed that Dr. Hayford had written a. Um, a commentary for your book, and I thought if you'd like, I'd, I'd like to read it to you to honor you and also honor him. Sure, yeah, that's very gracious. Go ahead. Okay. What he wrote for your book was, Unless bold voices call the Church to holiness in Christ's light, as well as peace in God's love, 
casual attitudes will beget reckless saints. Michael Brown has done us a service by focusing on purity of life while embracing salvation's hope apart from works. And that was written on your Go and Sin No More, A Call to Holiness book. Yes, so Linda, um, yeah, thank you for doing that and for taking time to to honor the one known as, as Pastor Jack. I, I issued some statements that were posted in articles online and then uh, posted uh, on social media a tribute to, to Pastor Hayford. So I didn't talk about it on, on Monday, but I did that immediately on, on Sunday. And Linda, what, what was, um, we weren't close friends, but uh, we got to spend some really good time together. And I remember I was speaking at an Israel conference and he gave me one of the most gracious introductions uh, but what I so appreciated about him is he was so widely respected as a Christian leader, as a man of God. In that sense, he was uh, even a Pentecostal charismatic pioneer and that he was so respected by many who were not Pentecostal charismatic that they recognized in him a real balance of word and spirit. And with all of his years living into his 80s and being so active in ministry, uh, you don't associate him with scandals. You don't associate him with corrupt fundraising. You don't associate him with flakiness. You don't associate him with gossip and attack and slander. You, you don't associate him with any of that. Uh, so it's a real tribute to his integrity uh, over the decades, his devotion to the Lord. And then, of course, you know, one of the most famous Christian songs written in the 20th century, Majesty, was, was written by Pastor Hayford, among his other songs. So we're indebted to him. He's, he leaves a great legacy and, and a, a great hole to fill as well. Thank you very much for the call. Appreciate it. Uh, let us go to Joe in Vista, California. Welcome to the yeah. line of fire. Uh, Shalom, Mikhail. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Uh, I have a question. A while back, I believe in the 90s, you were debating on the Sid Ross show, uh, a rabbi. It wasn't Shmuley Boteoff. It was another guy. Oh, gosh, I forget his name. But anyhow, the, a oh, caller oh, called in, and it was about... Uh, are you talk, so you're talking was, about a, was, a radio debate, an audio debate? Yes. And uh, the, a caller called in, and it was a question about uh, the line of Jeconiah and um, Shealtiel being born. And, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Shealtiel, and then uh, Curse being broke. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. from, from that line. Could you elaborate a little bit more on yeah, that? Yeah, a- absolutely. Yeah, so that goes back to the early 1990s when Sid hosted a debate between Rabbi Tovia Singer and me. Since then, Rabbi Singer has refused to debate me. Uh, and a previous debate that was held at the home of a Russian Messianic Jew with Rabbi Singer and I, uh, he asked me then to not release those tapes to the public. And then since our public debate, he's refused to debate me, sadly. I think it would be a very useful debate for Jew and Christian alike. Um, I, I should also say that the 700 Club was there to film the debate. They were going to air the whole thing on TV, Pat Robertson's network. And uh, they gave the permission form to Tovia before to sign. He goes, I'll sign it after, and he refused to sign. So it could have gotten out to even more people. In any case, here's the long and short of it. There is the idea that Jeconiah, so one of the last kings of Judah, that uh, grandson of, of Josiah, that Jeconiah was cursed that no one of his lineage would sit on the throne. And therefore, because Jeconiah is, is included in Matthew's genealogy, that Jesus would therefore be 
Matthew's genealogy of Jesus, Jesus would therefore be disqualified. The fact of the matter is that the curse on Jeconiah was reversed. In Jeremiah 22, God says, if you were like a signet ring, I'd remove you from my hand. And then in Haggai 2, to Zerubbabel, the grandson of Jeconiah, it says, I will make you like a signet ring on my own hand. In Jeremiah 52, it tells us that Jeconiah, after 37 years in exile, was raised up and was given a, a seat at the king's table. And rabbinic commentators, so th this you'll find in rabbinic literature, in Jewish literature, they recognize that, that Jeconiah had repented. And because he repented, God reversed the curse and then raised him up accordingly. Not only so, through his grandson Zerubbabel, publicly and clearly said, the curse is being reversed. I'm going to make you like my signet ring again. So that was the answer in short. If you want much more depth on it, volume four of Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus. Volume four of my series, Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus. I get into this in depth, but that is the answer. The curse was reversed. Rabbinic literature verifies it as well. Hey, one last reminder, as we've encouraged you to check out nitric oxide, which has really been blessing me, and I, I want to share it with you. I think you'll really benefit from this. Call 800-477-4816. Brown23 is the code to use. You get a 25% discount. Remember, it's money-back guarantee. Doesn't work for you? No problem. Or go to Trivita. Trivita.com. Use the code BROWN23. On your order, you'll get the free book also, 10 Habits of Wellness by Michael Ellison. And the good, the, uh, to add it to everything, your funds will then be transferred right over so much of it to help us get the line of fire on across America. All right, back with you on Monday. Another program powered by the Truth Network.